everybody. You're listening to The Big Jill Podcast. This is episode 539, The Ted Lasso Experience. Big Chillians. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? I feel like it's been a while. It has been. It's been about a week. But no, yeah. things are things are going pretty well. The NCAA tournament has almost concluded since the last time we've talked. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know if you know half the universities even in it. <laughs> no, I, I barely. But yeah, the favorites have continued to tumble. And it's a record-breaking season now, right? Because I think it was yeah. the first time ever that there was no number one seed in the Elite Eight and uh, in the Final Four. I think so. We've we've got a, a tournament for the the history books, but I, I I have a feeling this will just happen more and more frequently, just because how the three pointer has kind of broken basketball. Yeah, I feel like you're yeah, going mean, to get more upsets. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one. I think another one, too, is the larger universities having such rapid turnover of players versus these yeah. smaller universities that you're seeing that have a core team for four or five years because they can't leave to go to the NBA because they probably won't get drafted. So, you know, they have a little more connection when they're playing. Uh, and you've seen that. Like, I mean, Arizona was a great example. I mean, this is a team where they've a lot of new players constantly coming in and out and they have games where it all clicks and then they have games where they are like not on the same page at all and everyone's just on their own. Well, they also have the Duke of Curse to contend with. And <laughs> yeah, that's undefeated. <laughs> so spe- speaking of baseball though, LeBron James made his comeback this weekend after a very quick recovery from his foot issue. Uh, for, he didn't undergo surgery in the end. I don't know if you saw his interview in which he said that the first two specialists he saw advised that he did, that he should have surgery, but the third one didn't. And he referred to that specialist as the LeBron James of feet. Now, <laughs> why would he wait to the third choice to go see the know. LeBron James? Cause he saw the Michael Jordan and the Kobe Bryant <laughs> yeah. of feet first. <laughs> how, how good at something do you need to be? before you can genuinely refer to another expert as being the you of that thing without it coming across as completely unreasonable. Never. Never. I don't think it's ever acceptable. No. So Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods couldn't say, I went to see the Tiger Woods of blank. Could they say it? Yes. Should they say it? No. No. (laughs) It's fair. I mean, I can't imagine. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's semi-joking in the comment. Like, he doesn't sell it enough to make it clear that it was a total joke. And you know, deep down, he believes it. Like, that's his image of himself. This is a guy who refers to himself as King James consistently. But there's probably a little bit of humor in it. But yeah, I don't... It's it's an interesting one. It, It kind of... I both recoiled slightly when I heard him say it, but then also he's so good at what he does that it's kind of justifiable. Yeah, that is pretty good. So I, before we wrap up our basketball intro, which we, I don't think we've ever introed with basketball, 
um, getting back to that final four, I had two questions. The first one is a prediction and who you think is going to win. You have San Diego State versus Florida Atlantic. And then the other semifinal is UConn versus Miami. And then the second one is, do you think not having big favorites and big teams is actually bad for the NCAA tournament? Or do you think it's good and refreshing and people ultimately always love the Cinderella story versus having your big Kentucky-like or Duke-like programs in there? So I think UConn will win it as my prediction, which I probably shouldn't. They're the highest remaining seed. So if this tournament has anything to go by, they stand absolutely no chance of winning. Then you take Florida Atlantic, the nine seed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is just crazy to think that the final four, one of the semis is San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. That's that's mind-blowing i've been to san diego state and it is like to think that is one of the top four basketball schools is crazy to think about yeah and i mean i guess in some ways the person who must be in the most upset by this run to the final four is Kawhi leonard because that's where he went to school and up until now like the, that was the only thing like if you brought oh. up san diego state it was just like oh yeah that's where Kawhi leonard went to school Whereas now it's like, oh, that's the team that made it to the final four in 2023 and Kawhi Leonard went there. And then it just kind of, it will make it in the history books. It will make it seem less strange in a way that he is an alumni of San Diego state. But as for whether or not it's good for the tournament, I'm of the firm belief that no, that I think for the most part, all major tournaments and sporting events are more successful when the bigger teams make it far and that the you couldn't have a more final... predictable answer Eddie. i know <laughs> i, I really didn't even have someone... to ask the questions but i thought maybe we have some new listeners you know they don't know yeah. enough about you yet now they get a little insight into you <laughs> well i mean look I'm, I'm someone who mostly supports smaller teams so i'm usually have a kind of rooting interest in a smaller team but unless it's if i'm a total neutral in the event I think it's more interesting with at least one established team because I think that ultimately the issue I have here is like, say San Diego state wins it. There's kind of like how much legitimacy do you give to them winning when they don't have to, the final hurdle is not a, a huge test. Like if they'd gone into this, if they, you know, made it to the final and had to beat a number one seed at that final stage, then you feel like they've really proven themselves as national champions. But when it just comes across as this kind of fluky run where a lot of the big teams manage to get themselves knocked out at times, it's, I don't know. I mean, if I were a player on the team, it wouldn't feel any less legitimate. I'm not saying that, but from a neutral standpoint, (laughs) it might. So transitioning then from Cinderella stories in basketball, Most will not call this a Cinderella story, but heading into April, Arsenal are ahead in the Premier League table. In the last 10 seasons, Eddie, how many teams or clubs have not won the Premier League title when leading to start April? Uh, It won't be many. Um, I'll say it's either one or two. I'll say... Two. 
It is only one. Yeah. Do you want to guess that one? Um, maybe. I think you can. I you should know this, and I think you could probably guess the two teams as well. Well, so I mean, were Liverpool top last season, going into April? No, no. Uh, it's always tough because you get these situations too where games teams have multiple games in hand, right? So it can be a little yes. bit misleading at times. This was a uh, game in hand situation. <laughs> Manchester United top of the table? Nope. It was 2018-2019 when Liverpool were sitting on 76 and City were sitting on 74 but had a game in hand. Yeah. No, because sometimes some of the famous ones where teams have closed gaps at the end, where they'd be like, well, they were nine points behind going into the final seven matches. Like, yeah, but with three games in hand. So you'd rather have points on the board in all situations. Like, that's the advantage Arsenal have at the moment, for sure. But you still have to factor in games in hand with, especially nowadays, Less so, like if you go, I mean, we've spoken about it before. If you go back to the late 90s or early 2000s when teams were winning the league with 80 points, it wasn't a guarantee that they were going to string together five consecutive wins. But with City, Liverpool in recent seasons, and so far Arsenal, you just have to assume that if they're playing anyone outside the top six or seven, then it's almost certainly going to be three points. Yeah. Well, they're five from their last five, so they're cruising on all cylinders. But hopefully the international break doesn't slow down that Ferrari. Yeah, it's always a risk. I mean, I think especially if you're Arsenal, it probably feels like it came at the wrong time. I know they do have a smaller squad and things, so they might appreciate some of the rest. But not only because you lose a bit of the momentum, also you'll just, you know, like if you're Arteta or Guardiola, you'll just be nervously watching all of these matches, hoping that someone doesn't get injured playing in an international match of what will feel like less significance than what they're doing on the, on the club scene. And seemingly everyone's made, made it through unscathed. Obviously Saka was the star of the show uh, in England's performances. So, you know, he'll be hoping to continue that form for Arsenal over the, remaining 10 matches as well. Well, Saka and Harry Kane, right? Yeah, I mean, Kane didn't do a ton, in, but he did what Harry Kane does, which is... Well, he did. He, he achieved a, a milestone. <laughs> yeah, he became England's all-time leading goal scorer with the penalty against Italy uh, on, what was that, Thursday? And then scored again to put, you know... The interesting thing is going to be, I suppose, he, he could probably score another 20 or so goals in his England career. So he's going to be way out in front of Wayne Rooney. And it does, you know, we sometimes discuss those, you know, unbeatable records. He has the, he has a realistic chance of putting himself in almost unbreakable territory just because of the length of your career and the consistency that you'll have to have in order to, you know, if he ends up on say 80 goals for England, which is feasible to try and get there, that's a that's a long career and a, and a very consistent career to, to get anywhere close. Yeah, I mean, it would take a really long time, but it would take a really 
potentially short time to beat his trophy case. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and and that's where I feel sorry for him. You know, he scored the goal. The fact that he also broke the record with a penalty, which then immediately led to, well, why couldn't you do that? Pour some salt France? in the wound. <laughs> yeah, in the fresh, fresh wound. <laughs> so there was that shame, and, and there's a lot of people questioning, in a sense, the his legitimacy as the as England's greatest goal scorer. You know, with people poking holes in the number of penalties he's taken the opposition he scored against. I think for the most part, when you're doing that type of analysis of international goal scorers, the list is mostly going to be made up of fairly unimpressive teams. Like that's just the nature of international football. Like the vast majority of games that you play are against teams ranked outside the top 10 in the world. People can also be pretty dismissive sometimes of like, you know, scoring a goal in, you know, I, I saw the people just putting together the list of teams he scored against. Like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. He scored against Senegal. Oh, he scored against Nigeria. You know, they kind of writing, running through this list of teams. We're like, those are decent international sides. Like, we can't just dismiss out of hand because they didn't win, you know, the World Cup last time around. It doesn't mean that they're awful. Uh, but it's... Ultimately, if he really kind of wants to secure his status, I think he needs he needs to win something. But ideally for him, from that England legacy perspective, he needs to win something with England. And in those opening two qualifying matches, I think they've looked pretty much as good as anybody else. There's certainly room for, you know, reason for them to be pretty confident that they've, you know, they're one of the two or three favorites for these for this Euros. They've virtually qualified now having beaten Italy away and Ukraine, who are the, the two major challenges in the group. So, you know, and, and we take it for granted as England fans that under Southgate, this all seems easy. And again, I think people, you know, like even winning away in Italy and then afterwards people were criticizing maybe the quality of the performance or the, substitutions in the second half or a bit of the second half negativity but you know england going and winning in naples is is significant but yeah know, some people are just never happy well some people including some on the podcast <laughs> it's so fairly, for you to say that <laughs> i'm fairly easy to please as a supporter for the most part you know, the lows get pretty low, but I'm pretty, pretty stable at most moments. Now, I guess switching, we'll probably get back onto football a little bit later when we do our reaction to the first couple of episodes of Ted Lasso, but staying in the world of real sport, big, big news out of the NFL this, well, today with Lamar Jackson coming up with one of the least intelligible public statements I've ever seen. Oh, I knew I knew you were coming for him. <laughs> I mean, can you not get someone... I appreciate that it was clearly written that he wrote it himself. And he gets some credit for that because you would imagine most of those things would just be handled by agents and PR teams and that he might not even have looked at it. He definitely looked at this. I don't think he looked at it more than once, but... He wrote it, I would have to assume, or he needs to rethink people who he's hiring to 
speak on his behalf, but the number of typos and just sentences that barely make sense for a statement of... Do you want to try and read it? (laughs) I mean, I'll read the part of it that I thought was absolutely the worst, which, because the beginning and the end aren't too bad, but it's actually when you get to that middle period where he starts to actually make his statement, where he goes, he says, as of March 2nd, I requested a trade from the Ravens organization for which the Ravens has not been interested in meeting my value. Any and everyone that's that that's has met me or been around me. know I love the game of football and my dream is to help a team. I believe. <laughs> yeah. I wish we could insert like that when maybe we will, who knows? We'll see what the post-production values are like on this episode. But yeah, the the Billy Madison just reaction. <laughs> we to are his... all now dumber for having <laughs> had to listen to this. May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> but it's just a terrible when you're you know one of the leading figures in the NFL. It it also kind of strange because it feels like everyone sort of knew that he was probably going to leave at this point. So you know he's making something official that was pretty unofficially widely known, but it would be interesting to see where he, he ends up. Yeah. It's, it's actually a little annoying to listen to some of the, so I've listened to some of the reactions from, you know, various people in media and they've been pretty hesitant to kind of, not shoot him down a peg or two, but to like, everyone's kind of been a little pro Lamar. And when you look at the writing on the wall, it's tough to kind of be very pro Lamar in this situation. Now, this isn't even discussing like what the locker room scene is like, what his relationship is like with the coaches and the owners and things like that. But you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, he was recently an NFL MVP. That was four seasons ago in the NFL four seasons is by no way recent. Like I would say going back two years is the max you can use the word recent for in the NFL with how team like players change so quickly and injuries and just fatigue and aging. So, I mean, he was offered supposedly last September, 133 million guaranteed at signing with 175 guaranteed for injury and 200 million total guaranteed if he was on the roster in the 2026 year. That would have been second amongst all QBs besides Deshaun Watson, who that was just the worst contract negotiation of all time. And the Browns just have really screwed the NFL for how bad that was. But that was, you know, five years, 230. The next closest one is Russell Wilson at 124 million. So he would have technically be making $75 million more guaranteed than Russell Wilson. I mean, that's, those are decent numbers. So if at that point you are full out denying that, I mean, you kind of have to question what you're doing. He's representing himself. You know, he's like, doesn't want an agent. He thinks he can represent himself and it's clearly not working. And when you like, wow. you, we don't have to go and look at his stats, but I mean, his stats have been declining every year. He's injured every year. And his postseason record, which we've talked about a lot, you know, in the past two years on this podcast, is terrible. 
I mean, it, it's really bad. So I, I don't know what he thinks he deserves, but there's obviously no one in his ear kind of telling him, you know, maybe you're a little too high on yourself. The issue is the system's just kind of broken, right? In that every starting quarterback expects to sign a record-breaking deal. And then, as you mentioned, the Deshaun Watson contract and the fully guaranteed aspect, like these players now will take it as a slight if you're not offering them the greatest deal that the NFL has ever seen. And we just can't operate in a in an environment where, you know, the top 10 starting quarterbacks in the NFL are setting new records every time they sign a new deal. Like the, the figures are just going to become, they're already astronomical, but they're going to become baseball-like contracts. You know, you're going to get these guys signing like 15-year, billion-dollar deals before we know it. And yeah, it's just not... It's just not possible. The money they offered him, supposedly or allegedly, is is fair. But I guess if you're him and in your mind you think you're a league MVP and a sort of unique, you know, franchise defining quarterback, then you probably you want that that record. The issue I got for him is I don't think there's that many great landing spots like Baltimore is probably as good as it gets for him in terms of being competitive. Like the, the thing that would concern me if I were him is now he's going to end up on a team that probably wasn't even in the playoffs last season and probably hasn't been in the playoffs for a few seasons. And maybe he gets to save face by signing a big deal because there'll be a team out there that's desperate for him. But I don't, I don't, can I can I throw yeah. out a one for you a scenario? Sure. Let's say I'll, I'm going to give you two uh, two people I want you to be or two personas. One, Jets ownership and players. Two, Jets fans. Would you rather have Aaron Rodgers or Lamar Jackson? As a fan, I would much rather have Lamar Jackson. Like it's a player not coming towards the end of his career. Yes, he kind of messed the Ravens around last season, but prior to that, and I think ultimately that just came down to the fact that he knew he wanted to leave, and so he didn't see the point in playing and potentially getting injured for a team he didn't want to stay with. So One year of being a, disgruntled employee versus five. Versus a, a career <laughs> of it. And, and not even just a disgruntled employee, right? A disgruntled family member, boyfriend. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> just a disgruntled human being. I, yeah, I think I've, I, as a fan, I would definitely rather have Lamar Jackson. As a teammate, I don't know, because I think feeling like he did sit out on a team would bother me. But I think more more is like if you're a player, who do you think gives you the better chance to win? No, but I would have to think seriously about watching okay. someone who last season kind of gave up on his team. Like he had the possibility of playing Wait, the playoffs. Which one are you talking about? <laughs> well, not Aaron Rodgers didn't give up on his team. He didn't play particularly well. Okay. But Lamar Jackson sat out games when based on all 
publicly shared medical information, he was healthy enough to play. And he could have had a playoff run with a team and instead decided no. And if you're one of his teammates playing alongside him, that would have been upsetting. And I think if you think about the potential, like, do I feel like I want to play with that guy? He abandoned his former teammates. I probably don't want him on my team. So as a player, as a potential teammate, I think that would be really off-putting. As a coach, as a general manager, as an ownership group, again, I'd probably rather have Lamar Jackson. Still kind of tough. Younger. <laughs> but I'd probably rather have Lamar. He's younger. You've got him, you know, I mean, like Aaron Rodgers, you, there's a, every chance you've got him for one season, and then he just retires. Lamar, I mean, well, maybe that could happen with Lamar Jackson too, but I do think you're you're more likely to get six, yeah. seven seasons out of Lamar Jackson. You're probably at most getting three seasons from Aaron Rodgers. I don't think you're even getting that, but that's yeah. like best case scenario. I mean, it's it's crazy to think for as different as quarterback styles as they are, the, the reasons for wanting them and not wanting them on your team is pretty similar. Like they they, yeah. cross, they share a lot of uh, of uh, varying issues. <laughs> but again, the sample, you know, the 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 period in which Lamar Jackson has seemingly been difficult is much much smaller. So you can maybe say there's some mitigating circumstances there with the contractual situation, with the way in which the Ravens used him, with some of his injuries. You can. I think if you sat down and spoke with him and he gave you the right answers, you could feel comfortable about him. Aaron Rodgers, he, I bet you he gives you the right answers when he sits down because he just seems like that kind of guy. Like I think whenever he wants to switch it on, he'll switch it on. I just wouldn't trust him. So yeah, that would be the difference for me too. I mean, how can you trust a guy that supposedly didn't even last a day in the uh... – the silence chamber or whatever he was in. According to reports, he ditched out early. <laughs> of course he did. He retired from it. He, did, he didn't want to shit in his own hands. <laughs> <laughs> he does that enough anyway. Yeah, he but, does that on the field. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that would be, we know, oh, uh, you know, to the quote we love to, paraphrase i think with aaron Rodgers, we we know who we think he is and <laughs> and with lamar jackson i'm not sure i know yet the, yeah but i will go the opposite way in their on-field play whereas i think you know the on-field production you're going to get from Rodgers. maybe it'll be a slight drop off from last year, but you still have a good idea with Lamar Jackson at this point. I don't know anymore. You know, like it, does he still have what he had in what year was that? 2019 is MVP year. You know, I, I, he hasn't played enough recently to, it wasn't a good season this year for the 12, was it 12 games he played? And the season before was a really bad year. I mean, I think he had 13 picks in 12 games that year. I mean, you're You've never been part of the Lamar Jackson fan club, right? Like I'm, I'm not either. But you're, <laughs> you're on the total other end of the spectrum. I think he 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 that MVP year was spectacular. I will never take that away, and that was a great year. Besides right. that year, he's been an average quarterback at best. I think average is a little extreme, but I also 
I'm not sure I agree with you that you can just pencil Aaron Rodgers in for just a marginal drop off from what we saw from him this year. As we've mentioned on recent weeks, you know, we Tom Brady has just completely shifted our perception of how long a quarterback's career can be. And we now just assume, oh yeah, a 40 year old quarterback can be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's not weird. And we haven't seen anyone other than Peyton, uh, Peyton, other than Tom Brady do it. And yet it's now just accepted as being a possibility. You're so telling me Drew Brees wasn't whipping those balls in there last year? No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely wasn't. Like, I think you can maintain your reputation into, into your mid-40s. That, that we are definitely seeing. But in terms of actual quality of play, I th- you know, I think Tom Brady is the outlier, but we're treating him like he's the new normal. And I, I would be very hesitant as a t- team to just buy into the theory that someone else can do something close to what Tom Brady did. I, I would rather miss out on being on having the second version of that then commit to being the 50th team to try and get a quarterback to extend their career only to find out they've kind of lost most of what made them special. Like there are far more stories that look like that than there are (laughs) the Tom Brady signing for a new team in his forties and winning a Super Bowl. So moving on from the Lamar, the only other news in the NFL is it's the annual owners meeting where I'm sure like, Everyone else in the real world that has meetings with their peers, they're probably having Panera lunches and, and you know, Diet Cokes and bottled waters, you know, no, nice services, nothing fancy. Um, but this is where they discuss new rules and teams can propose new rules and they discuss and vote on them. So, I, you know, I know, Eddie, that you are a fan of rule changes and ways to improve every aspect of every game. So here are some of the rules that have been proposed. So the um, biggest rule apparently came from the Rams who want to propose that roughing the passer penalties be reviewed by officials or by a coach's challenge. Yay or nay? I'm all in favor of everything being challengeable. It's just that we saw with the... uh, um, what was it a couple of years ago? Uh, Past interference. Yeah. We saw that just the rate of, it was kind of never overturned. They just stuck with the ruling on the field. So the, the challenge was pointless. I'm totally fine with the, the same idea. Like if a, a coach wants to challenge it, it's one of your two challenges in the game. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. Okay. The reviewable element, I'm less in favor of just because that just feels like it's going to slow the game down because you could be reviewing potential roughing the passer 10 times a game and we could be adding an hour onto every game. I don't think there's 10 a game, but I agree. (laughs) There's probably about three to four a game. I think there's more than you think there are. If you got into a situation where that was reviewable, because then you put, it's like with every rule that, you make questionable ones and then you can just overturn it. 
and and also more to the point well no but i'm saying not the review element but if reviewable from the official standpoint so not a challenge if they yeah, are yeah. themselves i i feel like you'll then get it's a little bit like rugby suffering from this situation at the moment when they've they've introduced these quite strict rules with red cards and and head contact i think you'd then find situations of officials not wanting to miss a potential roughing the passer so they'd either be calling it on the field or deciding to review it post play and i i think it would i think there would be more because every time a quarterback kind of got hit backwards and potentially hit his head on the ground people landing on top of them it would just everything would be getting reviewed it would be painful i think so this is one I don't fully understand. The Detroit Lions propose a rule that would allow officials to consult on penalty enforcement. So I'm wondering if that means if someone throws a flag, they can get together and agree that to pick the flag up or to not enforce it. I would be in favor of that, and I would go one step further. The NFL last year did a little bit of the, if there's something that was pretty egregious that the, I don't know, upper review booth saw, they would signal right down and they would kind of just change it instantaneously. Like they wouldn't have to go under the booth. I'd be in favor of that for almost any situation where if they threw a flag, but then you go to the booth and it was like, actually, no, he wasn't grabbing his face mask. He was grabbing something else, like call it off and they could call it off. I think that any way you can, I agree with you to not slow it down, but to still be able to almost slightly review everything that's called, that would be a nice one. And I guess that would be another way of them getting together to whether or not to enforce a penalty it would be getting together with the upper booth as well. Well, they can do that at the moment, right? This is this rule is just proposing an additional situation in which they are allowed to consult. Because right now they can consult with each other on a lot of different types of, including penalty enforcement, because you see them pick up flags. Mm-hmm. But this is just one additional situation which they could potentially overturn a penalty yeah but yeah so I, mean, the lions, I, I don't see why why yeah. you can't do it on everything the lions also proposed coaches can challenge personal fouls and team can earn a third challenge if they win only one of their challenges instead of having to win both so it's 50 percent earn you another shot <laughs> um i'd probably be okay with that it would, uh, I mean, yeah, I'd probably be okay. You don't see that many instances of coaches getting both challenges wrong anyway. Yeah. So it's basically saying you're going to get three challenges, but yeah, it doesn't, I, I'm, I would be fine with it. It doesn't bother me too much. Here's one that might hit home a little, Eddie. Also from the Lions. Proposal would allow teams to designate a third quarterback from its inactive list or practice squad to play in a game if both of a team's active QBs are ruled out. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, I'm fine with this. I'm fine with the idea of having. No, but I'm fine with the idea of having kind of unlimited reserve quarterbacks. It's the one position where you you kind of need that flexibility, because look. How about not to, how about they what? do what the NHL does for and the third a, goalie and they put yeah, they put a person who plays at least some level of quarterback from beer league up that could play for each team and sits in the stands ready to be called in if necessary. <laughs> I mean it, that would still be better than probably what ended up happening in the NFC Championship game 
the the reality though is right you you need to have some familiarity with a playbook like there's no yeah. point in just sticking random quarterback in it's better than having a quarterback who doesn't have an arm but not by much and so it would then reward teams i mean how many quarterbacks are you going to keep sort of up to scratch on your playbook at any one time but yeah i'd be fine i'm fine with that because look in the end it was okay in the nfc championship game in the sense that the eagles were arguably you know the the for most people maybe the best team in the nfc over the course of the season so them making it to the super bowl didn't feel like the wrong outcome but just imagine if that had happened in the super bowl like imagine if the super bowl had basically been over as a comp- competitive event midway through the second quarter it would have i think people would feel a little bit differently about yeah if the niners have made it it would have been anyway but <laughs> i'm not gonna bite <laughs> yeah he kind of did the face bit <laughs> so two more both kickoff related the first i think we'd agree on the second i think we might disagree on so the first one is uh right now a kickoff touchback goes to the 25. They want to propose that a punt touchback also goes to the 25. I'm in favor of this because then we can maybe start seeing more of the directional punting and coffin kicks instead of just those terrible kicks right up the middle that end up being touchbacks. That extra five yards might incentivize a punter to actually try hard at his job. So I'm in favor of that. Yeah. I mean, part of me would just then think, though, that I don't think there's a huge amount of skill in punting anyway. Like, I think this is the the biggest con a lot of professional athletes are pulling. Like, I know Pat McAfee wants with his whole, you know, punters or athletes too nonsense. But I would just then get to the point, you should be able to kick a punt into the end zone from a lot of places. And so in a sense, it would do away for the need for directional punting because you just punt it through the end zone. But then the ball put on the 25 versus the 20. Yeah. So, so why, why would, you... would you do it? A... Oh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah, I guess. you're, giving, your off- yeah, you're yeah. giving the offense an extra five yards. Yeah, sorry. I was, yeah, my brain got that the wrong way around. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have and a lot I... of respect for punters. I have now the biggest... I think rule proposition change, the wildest one. And that comes from the Eagles where it would allow a scoring team to maintain possession of the ball instead of kicking it off by giving them a fourth and 20 play at the team's own 20 yard line. A team would only be able to do this twice in a game and only if they were losing. So pretty much the XFL rule in in a way. So I, I like the idea of the 4th and 20. I don't like the idea of limiting the number of times you could do it or requiring that you can only do it when you're losing. Wow. That doesn't... Full Madden style, Eddie wants. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me to have rules that are that specific. It does sound, then, too, it does sound too much rule you, you know, like... And, then you got to hear the yeah. idiots explain it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'd be explaining it for 15 years every play. <laughs> But also, like, that sounds like the type of rule a seven-year-old would make up 
it, when they were in their inventing backyard a, inventing a sport like no, no no you can only do it when you're losing yeah you know like this is <laughs> only twice kind of, exactly take or i'm taking my ball and i'm leaving like that you know there's there's that kind of feel to it i like the idea of replacing the onside kick because it's I know it was actually reasonably successful last season. I think that was more of an anomaly. It is just sort of pointless. I actually, I also don't find onside kicks to be that interesting. Like it's just, they're mostly either, they're mostly just absolutely really terrible and just a complete anticlimax. And I would find a, a team deciding to go for it on fourth and 20 more interesting. And I would look forward to a team that one season just decided we're going to do this every time. Like that would be, <laughs> it would probably never happen because the NFL is so risk averse. Like you, if they introduce that in college, you'd have some weird college team doing it. But I would like to see like all these stats guys, like Staley would do it every time, except yeah. the one time he needed to, he would like, when not do it. <laughs> except when they're losing. Yeah. What he's like, <laughs> When he's, when he's down seven with a minute to go in the playoffs, he chooses the, to kick it deep. The Eagles would line up to do it every time, but then just Ooh, call a yeah. timeout. <laughs> and, and every time we'd have to get them praised for, well, they're the type of team that would go for it, even though they never do. Yeah. And speaking of the Eagles, the rule that is not on the table as of now is the pushing the quarterback forward for the first down. And the QB sneak that was not on there as of yet. Yeah, I mean we 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 discussed that one already. I I, I think that one's just a really complicated rule to try and rule out. Yeah. So I think that would be that's the real challenge is, is the wording is going to be. I mean, they had it ruled out for a long time. <laughs> it was just you can't push a player forward. <laughs> Except we tolerated. We've always kind of tolerated pushing players forward because. There are always those situations in the flow of a game where we've we've kind of turned a blind eye to that. Now it's specifically, well, no, we don't want you to allow you to do it to like a quarterback with a ball carrier at the line of scrimmage. But is it time then for us to switch over to our discussion on Ted Lasso? Well, let me let me ease us into non-sports talk with a funny story I saw that I did a little deeper dive into. Okay. So... Uh, I think it was about two weeks ago now, there was two Virginia inmates who broke out of their jail cell with a toothbrush and escaped the jail, traveled seven miles by walking, obviously, through the town, and were then apprehended while having lunch at IHOP. (laughs) So I then took a closer look at their route that they took from escaping the jail to this IHOP. And I have to say, they missed a lot of good food opportunities. And I don't know why they chose the IHOP. The only thing I could think of is all-you-can-eat pancake special that they have. But it is currently not going on. So that is not put into the equation. They were not able to eat all the pancakes they want for $6. So what were the better options? So, so here are some of the options they pass on the way. You tell me what you think, any of them. Wendy's, Denny's, Taco Bell, Olive Garden, Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, Rally's, Red Lobster, Starbucks, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, Hooters, 
Mod Pizza, Waffle House. That's just in the direct line. One block away, you've got uh, Mod Pizza, Crumble Cookies, Sushi King, Boston Market, which is a rare find. There are not many Boston markets left in America, and that is a hot commodity. Uh, Applebee's, Wingstop, Chick-fil-A, Sonic, Cracker Barrel, a a, uh, friend of the (laughs) podcast, absolute favorite. Uh, Chick Fil A, another a Little Caesars. Okay, I think we've I think we've got it. I think we've got it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. None of those seem remarkably better necessarily to me than an IHOP. I mean, it would depend what you're in the mood for, I guess. But and there's some price elements that you'd have to consider here. Like I, I mean, <laughs> oh, do you think complex. they were paying for their meal? I think they were ordering and leaving. I mean, they well, escaped from jail. They have no money. Okay, so we can immediately eliminate some of those options because you would have to pay before you got your food. Oh, that is true. Do you think they put so that? A lot of that them, yeah, you're right. So a lot of the ones you just listed are no-goes for them if yeah. they're not planning on paying. A Cracker Barrel would be a nice one. It's a little more so, home style than the IHOP. <laughs> you get a nice biscuit. But There's the Chinese buffet know. star they passed. They could have really done some damage there. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know... I don't know necessarily. I don't. I don't look at that list and say what an idiotic choice. You think it's an okay uh, choice? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, they're escaped convicts. I'm not <laughs> expecting them to sit down for a Michelin star meal. <laughs> I think the Chinese buffet would have been a good choice. But some buffets you have to pay first. Hmm. Maybe so they tried. Maybe they tried a lot of them. For all you know, they might have gone to multiple destinations. They just got <laughs> caught at one of them. Maybe we should get them on to figure out what their what their mindset was. Yeah. Do you think they escaped just to go to IHOP? That's my first question. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. People do stupid things. But speaking of food choices, actually, on Saturday, I went to a, a birthday party, which was a friend of mine had privatized a restaurant and it was they'd removed all the tables and chairs so it was just standing and you had the bar where you could go and get your drinks and then they were bringing out it's a tapas bar and restaurant anyway so they were bringing out tapas bar really (laughs) (laughs) they were bringing out the sam's birthday (laughs) no you think former co-host Sam privatizes a restaurant for his birthday? <laughs> uh, but anyway, they they were just bringing out their food as normal. But, you know, it's small plates of stuff and it's coming out in... It was coming out in waves. I'll say in the end, there turned out to be a lot more food than the initial outgoing of food made it feel like. I was gonna, I was going to ask did you know going in how much food was going to be served had no idea oh wow and that's so at tough. first that's they brought tough. they brought they brought the first couple of things and then you know like some more other things would come out so in my mind you're thinking oh that probably won't reappear like that was all of that this yeah. is going to be all of this and it just the strategy then in terms of people trying to get their food cuz i mean for <laughs> why did i waste me, it all on hummus <laughs> Yeah, this was part of the struggle. Is like you might have committed too early, 
to some of the food, but also, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of standing space. And so are you one of those people who just sort of sets up shop directly next to a table and you're just there, you're a resident and whenever new food is arriving, you're immediately grabbing it or trying to push your way through a bunch of people. It was an interesting situation to navigate. How many people were at this party? 50. Oh. And so the, you know, like you, you weren't crammed, but when you wanted to try and get to where the food was, you had to go through a mass of people. So it wasn't easy and you couldn't certainly do it easily and gracefully. I'll put it that way. Like if you were trying to get there quickly, you're going to have to kind of nudge a few people out of the way. And, you know, the other downside to it is they're bringing out plates that only might only have at any one time four to six of that thing on it. Tough. Were they coming out the same door every time? Yeah, the kitchen was there. So you could see where the, where. So could you post up right by the entrance? (laughs) No, you couldn't do that. Fun. And they were distributing, there were kind of three places they were putting the food. And every time, like one of each thing was being put at a different place. But, and it was interesting because you just did see people who put themselves directly next to a table and never left. Like that was just. Were you where able they to eat until completion? Until completion? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, in the end, yeah, I, I, would, I would say, and credit to the guy who organized it for from his own birthday in the end there was probably too much food which is the outcome you need like you definitely yeah if you've organized a birthday party where you've privatized a restaurant that started at seven o'clock so realistically no one was eating before they were arriving and the idea was that you could have stayed there until one when the place closed you needed there to be too much food we didn't stay till one so there was definitely more food coming. We didn't even get to when the wow. desserts and stuff would have started to come out. But yeah, it was more than enough. And I wish I had known that from the beginning because I could have been less aggressive. Yeah, a little on. more picky. <laughs> it's not even that I could have been more picky. It was more just you felt like, oh, this food might stop at any moment. <laughs> And I need to make sure I've eaten enough. Because God forbid you have to do your Uber Eats McDonald's again. (laughs) Well, someone's birthday, that would be a bit sad. In case you have to save that party. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like you're drinking, you're having a nice time. So there was a little bit of a rush to like, ooh, can can I get enough food? I guess maybe this person who threw the party listened to our podcast about throwing your own birthday parties as a yay or nay. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and prepaid. I mean, at a certain moment in time, it switched from an open bar to pay as you go. So you had a couple of hours where everything was paid for. And then afterwards, you needed to buy your own drinks. But aside from that, all the food and stuff he had taken care of. So, you know, splashed out on his own birthday. Something neither of us would do, but good for him. <laughs> I'll say he. The one thing I would say is his his birthday was a significant enough number where there I could see you organize your own birth. It was 50. So it's a that's, big one. That's a depressing year. Maybe you so need that's that. A, <laughs> that's a situation 
and he doesn't have a, a wife or anything. I don't mean to make that sound depressing, but as in there's no one who could have organized it on his behalf. Like it couldn't be my family have organized this birthday party. I think that's a situation in which I'm, I did not feel guilty about the idea that he had paid for it. You know Was it I mean? a surprise like party? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be ultimate. Everyone show up at 6.30. I'm going to show up at 7. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he did comment on the fact we were the first guests there. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. You were the first guest at yeah. a function. Yeah. So at an event with a time. Yeah, so the time was started at 7. And you got there at 8.30. And you were the got first one. 7.15, which I thought was like the, in the end, that's the kind of yeah. reasonable. And I'm happy we went when we went because otherwise it was just him by himself sitting there <laughs> waiting for people to turn up. And there was probably a solid, I think the next people arrived at about 7.30. Wow. So, yeah. Well, maybe who's doing the Parks and Rec thing when they organize that party and open the door when like they put the time on the invite and no one's there and they're like, whew. Thank God no one shows up on time to a good party. <laughs> he, he did. It didn't. He mentioned it himself. He, he had to think about like, what time should yeah. I show up? Like you kind of need to be the first person there. It's your own party. It's weird if other people are arriving and you're not there. So he put but seven on the, on the invitation. He, yeah. Yeah. But then you have to assume no one's turning up at seven on the dot. No, but you kind of have, have to, to be, be there. there. You still have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Even like 645. Yeah. Give a rundown, make sure everything's going okay. So is it time? For Ted Lasso? Yes. Yeah. Uh, see, season three of Ted Lasso. So spoiler warning, if you haven't watched or started season three, if you haven't watched any of it, then I'll, then don't listen either. But if you haven't watched season three, that is what we'll be discussing. The first two well, we episodes. Won't, we won't say don't listen. But if you haven't watched it and you intend on watching Pause. It, then, go yeah. watch and come back and listen. <laughs> You're not banned from listening yeah. if you haven't watched it. But yeah, uh, the first two episodes of Ted Lasso. So they've both been out for a while now. You've had at least, you've had what, five days to watch the second episode. So yep. I'm assuming most people who yeah, are. They're airing like a weird time, either Tuesday nights or Wednesday mornings or something. It's really weird. It's Wednesdays for me. Okay, yeah. But maybe with the time difference, if they're releasing them like Wednesday morning UK, yeah. and then it might sneak into Tuesday night for you. So this is obviously the f final season of Ted Lasso as announced by uh, the creators. Supposedly. Although, well, I, I definitely think it's the last season, but they have said that if a spinoff were to happen, then they would be welcoming that spinoff, which really yeah, scares me. <laughs> I think it's the last season with Ted Lasso. Yes. I think there's a very strong possibility that we have side characters continuing. Yeah. So who wants to start? <laughs> do you want to go episode by episode or do you want to discuss just the first two in general? Um, we can do the first two in general, I okay. guess. And you but want me, you want me to get the ball going. We can maybe do it in slight chronological order because it obviously makes sense okay. to do it in that way. I'll just but give you my way. overall opinion first, then we can get maybe a little more specifics. So overall, yeah. I thought the second episode was much better than the first. My issues with this show right now, 
as much as I want to love it and as much, I guess at this point, nostalgia I have to that first season, it is doing a lot of things really badly that I don't want to see in the first place. And it's limiting the good aspects that were fun to begin with. So for me, I think the most fun of the show was Ted interacting with the coaches and interacting with the players. It didn't specifically have to be like super football soccer focused, you know, but just some interaction at some level between them, I think was the hit of the show, you know, with him, with his non-traditional coaching of being an American football coach and all of that was fun. Entertaining was funny. The dynamics of him being happy, go lucky. And, uh, you know, Nate being, uh, not Nate, um, Jesus Christ, Brett Goldstein, uh, Roy being grumpy and coach beard kind of being like the quiet mystic thing. It was fun. And then the players all had their quirky things. That was great. They've like purposely gotten away from that, especially in episode one and are building off of the characters that are the most annoying parts of like, they're so cartoonish. Some of these characters that it's just a struggle to watch it where season one, as unrealistic as it was, had some realistic aspect to it. And like Nate's character now is like, I cannot stand him as a character. Like It's the point where if I ever see him in anything else, I just won't like it because he's just, he drives me insane between the spitting right. thing, which is the, yeah, the worst choice. It's awful. Whoever decided that they should do that and stick with it is almost as bad as probably the same idiot who decided they should do that assistant uh, owner person who goes every time like something yeah. bad happens. That same person probably did both of those and they should be fired from the writing crew. Higgins. But, Higgins. But it's it's the like the whole Keeley storyline to me is pointless and is not very funny and is not very entertaining. You know, like there's I get that they want to give all the characters and the actors their due respect and and let them, you know, do their thing. But you have to remember what made the show great. It wasn't Keely, you know, like Keely was a minor side character who had some good anecdotes. She she doesn't she wasn't on her own trying to like run a company or run her modeling business. You know, like they're just taking away from what I really liked from it. Yeah. So the Keely storyline I can do without. I'll join you on that. Also, just most of the criticisms of her are totally fair. And I think with Ted Lasso, we have enough of the person with no qualifications managing to somehow succeed. We don't need, oh, this is a world in which knowing what you're doing doesn't matter anymore. It's just about being plucky and positive and willing to do things in a slightly different way and caring about people. And as long as you do all of that, you know, like the next thing we know, they'll show that the, like the club doctor Never been to medical school. Just, <laughs> just well, and they're really also positive... kind of doing it with Nate too, right? Like Nate was yes. a one-time equipment manager all the way up to head manager now for West Ham. And, and yes. then the part where he was like, I am qualified for this job was the I stupidest thing. Right? I earned this. Yeah. yeah, I earned this. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, and look, that's the issue. And they didn't even do a good job of trying to show that he did earn this. You know, like there was a possibility in his character development where they could have shown that, oh, in the past he'd done coaching courses and I don't know, been 
like volunteering to coach a youth team somewhere, yeah. kind of refining his skills in some small way in whatever way was available to him. They've not done none of that. He just was a football fan who was, you know, in working for the club. And now he's some tactical genius who made one questionable tactical decision that made him a wonder kid. Yeah. One. And we also, <laughs> this is, we discussed it when they originally said it, the fact that they think, and I guess this is an American thing. Like wonder kid as a term is used commonly in England. You would be a footballing wonder kid. Like that's the term that would be used for them to be using it as it's, um, Oh, it's a joke. It's a misuse of the correct term. Just is not the case. No, no one would bat an eyelid. If you said, Oh, that guy's a wonder kid. Like Messi was a wonder kid. Everyone would go, okay. Yeah, of course. That is the correct use use of a term that we have. It's commonplace. So that already the wonder kid storyline just really bothers me. I'll give you, how about this one? Does this storyline bother you? The, the, uh, Rupert and what's their face rivalry? Like, oh, that, that everything now is like, uh, what is Rupert doing? What is West Ham doing? Like, there are 19 other yeah. clubs in the Premier League. Like, it's so inconceivable that this is all this person worries about. <laughs> so I could see that on a personal level, that would be a major focus. But and two sure episodes in a row focusing on that's like all her character is focused on two episodes now. I, I look of all the things within this world, the idea that your ex-husband, I mean, owning a different football club and that would be your main rival. That's kind of realistic within, I mean, in the world, the Ted Lasso world that has been created. <laughs> Going back to episode one, Ted Lasso also suffers from the fact that they have committed to a child actor who has the acting skills of a sponge. Oh, we're talking about Ted Lasso's His, son? Ted Lasso's son. Oh, it's not. I mean, if you told me that they'd given that child a lobotomy before each one of his scenes, I would believe it. I mean, he has the emotional range of, of just an inanimate object. And everything he delivers, it's like, but you'll be okay, Dan. No facial change. You know, like there's just absolutely nothing coming from him. And it's unfortunate. I think you just... He's been acting since he's four years old. Yeah, well, no, he hasn't been acting since he's four years old. He's been been in production since he was four years old. He has yet to act. But he... Glad I got to really rip into a child on this episode, but <laughs> these are the th- these are the things that they say about negative media that really <laughs> kill up and coming child stars. No, he's not up and coming. Put it this way: the term "wonder kid" will never be used to describe him in his acting career. Uh... But anyway, we'll, we'll try and move on from that maybe maybe he just didn't agree with the writing okay let's not put it all on him maybe he was unhappy with the writing or maybe they give him very specific instructions of of like make sure your face doesn't move but (laughs) 
then the major storyline that develops in season one, which is tied into the obsession with West Ham. Season one or but, episode one? Uh, episode one, sorry. The fact that all of these players, staff, everyone is obsessed yeah. with the preseason prediction and outraged by the fact that a newly promoted side is predicted to finish 20th is just so stupid. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And you have the, the Dutch player who is kind of the voice of reason there for a second of saying, well, it's normal. Promoted yeah. clubs are. But it bothers me so much. That, that bothered me so I, much. I'm fine if that had been like one little mention. I mean, it would be maybe normal to ask Ted Lasso in a press conference that question, perhaps. You know, like, oh, how do you feel about the preseason predictions? Not a lot of people are giving you much chance of staying up. That's probably that's a question you get asked in preseason. But for it to just be the only thing anyone is focusing on, like, can you believe these assholes are predicting us to finish 20th? It's like, yeah, you're a yeah. newly promoted team. And as far as we can tell, you've made no signings. None. So <laughs> They have until, made one signing. No, uh, that we, at least no one's significant. They haven't made mention of maybe there's some extra squad players. Uh, but yeah, this is that... It was so stupid. I couldn't. I couldn't live with it. Really. Yeah. No. That's that was one of the every major storyline that was in episode one just drove me mad. Between that and then the fact that Rebecca is just solely focused on like, oh well, where did Rupert's team? Where are they? Where are they ranked? Blah blah blah. Like just those two combined really upset me. And then once they introduced Nate, and he's now gone from a shy, quiet equipment manager. To potentially the biggest scumbag on planet Earth in in one season, it, like if they are going to do what I think they're going to do, and he'll turn him into actually being like a caring and you know understanding person by the end of the season, then that is one of the worst progressions of a character I've ever seen. Because like even his press conference, if any person had said what they've said in their press conferences, the media would be like, "Wow, that guy's a dick." <laughs> Oh, yeah, he'd get fired. Yeah. If a, if, a, if a reporter stood up and he went, for someone who looks so smart, that's an incredibly stupid question. When, when it was actually a pretty reasonable question. Yeah. But oh, I think we need to fully prepare ourselves, if Ted Lasso continues in some version, for the idea that over the course of this season, or at the very end of this season, Ted Lasso leaves Richmond. And this is the glorious return of Nate. Ugh. as the manager of Richmond. I think this is a there is a very realistic possibility that that is a plot line that we will see at some point. Do we also think, before we get back to, to Nate's stuff, do we also think Roy makes a reappearance on the field? Because he had that quote at the end about, you know, like kind of giving up before you were fully done with it and things like that. Yeah, it wouldn't stun me if he like, gets brought back. But yeah, it's the Nate element of it. It's just so bad. It's tough. It's I, difficult to watch when he's in a scene because it's just so awful. <laughs> the other thing that bothers me about it too is, and it goes back to what you kind of said, season one, it wasn't a re realistic portrayal by any stretch of the imagination of how the, what the Premier League is, looks like or how it's run. But they had at least created this concept that everything was normal aside from Richmond uh, appointing this American football coach. 
with the original idea of doing it on on purpose so that they would be relegated. But the fact that we now live in a universe where that guy is a manager in the Premier League again and a former kit man three years removed is also a Premier League manager. I don't know which one's more unrealistic. Probably the kit man's progression. Yeah. So Ted Lasso is kind (laughs) of just boring by comparison. It also bothered me in this episode that they kind of reveal that Ted Lasso, his knowledge of football has basically not progressed. Like he has a zero tactical understanding still. He's been in the job for three years. And (laughs) this is a guy who seemingly is committed to always improving himself and being open to new ideas. Roy Kent introduced the concept of 4-4-2 to him in this, which is like the most standard formation and tactic you could have ever had. And that's when this is his first time he's hearing of it three years into the job. And, you know, just comment the kind of on multiple occasions reference the idea that he basically still doesn't have a clue about what he's doing. And he's just there to be like the positive vibes guy. Yeah. That, that bit bothered Like he was a successful coach, right? In American football, he must have the skills and knowledge of a coach. Why isn't he, he's not a complete moron. No. Why isn't he learning the basics of the game? So that like progress past that stupid joke that this is some like hick who never seen a sport with a round ball before. Yeah. Agreed. You know what? I will hold off a little until episode, like we get some more later episodes, maybe just episode one in particular, which is not very good because some of the other aspects that really drove me bad about episode one that you didn't see as much in two was it was kind of lazy. So one they said uh, Premier League like two or three times. Yes. That bothered the me. Dutch, two, the Dutch player said it at one moment, which really bothered me. Two, when they go onto the underground to discuss the sewer system, the guy says miles. Like, come on. It's an English tour guide in London. Like, or oh, no, Richmond, wherever he was. No, no, you use miles in the UK. Really? Yeah, yeah. He would say miles over kilometers. Probably in that situation, yeah. For like, okay, yeah, yeah. I was surprised. Like roadside, that. roadside distances are in miles. Okay. The other they issue use I had for the most part, but like distances like that, you might have it done in miles. Okay. Some of the jokes, like that first season, they did a really good job of kind of upping the level of the joke or having a joke play through in certain scenarios, like setting it up for later. Kind of the thing like Arrested Development was really known for. And now they like were setting up a dumb joke that would be said right. Like the one that drove me the mad the most was the coach disco. Like, oh yeah, coach disco is going to take over. And then instantly you're like, please don't drop like a dumb dancing party joke. And he instantly was like, and we're not just going to party all day when I'm coaching or something stupid like that. And it's like, so you just, that was the best joke you could come up with in this scene was to waste a character by introducing his name as Coach Disco to drop that line. Like, they were better than that in season one. Much better. Yeah. I just feel like they almost exhausted all of those jokes in season one. I feel like they get rammed. There's They're too frequent. Like, the Ted Lassoisms. We discussed this in season two. Like, he can't get through three sentences without having one of his stupid sayings come in or... 
and the dialogue is too perfect like he sets up you know he i'm okay with i'm okay i just like succession does that same thing where no human talks like they do in succession but it's still interesting and fun but for him he would be such a moron if anyone didn't respond the way he needs them like with the way he's able to predict what the next person would say ted lasso is a genius (laughs) and yet (laughs) no but you know if you think about it like he's thinking four or five sentences ahead to set up (laughs) being able to respond with his dumb joke yeah and yet this is the same guy who the rest of the time you know can barely tie his own shoes seemingly that bit bothers me going back to inaccuracies this is a very small gripe when they went one nil down to chelsea they went just before halftime so it was one minute into injury time that they fell one nil down the scoreboard in Stamford Bridge said that the goal was scored in the 46th minute. Now, a scoreboard would never say that. It would be 45 plus 1 because 46 would indicate that it had been scored in the yeah. first minute of the second half. And that is a meaningless oversight. But again, it's indicative of the show overall in the way that their attention to detail on things that should just be obvious is just not there slipping yeah and i just think it's too i, I don't want this yeah. as an anti-american statement it's just too american now and i think there was an article in the guardian i read the other day like ted lasso has not really taken off in the uk in the same way in which it has in the us and I, again i think we discussed right part of what made that first season is it was kind of a british sitcom aiming at the american audience mm-hmm. and now it's become more of an American sitcom that just happens to be based in Britain. And that's yeah. a very different vibe. Yeah. Now, episode two, I thought was my, I laughed a lot more in episode two because I think they started to get back to what was funny. Like the locker room scene when all the players were getting confused about like what was going on. I thought that was really funny when they were like, wait, who's doing this? What's doing that? Like, that was pretty good when it's just all of them kind of just like cooking off each other. It's good. And, I think when you just let Roy do his own thing, I know you think it is getting old, but I still think he's super funny. Like when he snuck up on that security guard at, and in Chelsea, it was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> and then the guy was like, Oh, Roy. Like, I thought that was like, really, that was clever. I thought that was kind of funny. Just like, that was always who he was, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what I didn't like though, about season two was that they're basically, Someone in L.A. who is a writer went to an L.A. Galaxy game and saw Zlatan play and thought, hey, let's get him into season three. <laughs> I I mean, Zlatan will love it, right? Because what a compliment to him. It kind of feeds into his ego. Like we basically live in a world where Roy Kent is very clearly Roy Keane. Yeah. And now Zaza is very clearly Zlatan. And aside from that, there aren't necessarily obvious kind of parallels. Like their players are amalgams of other examples or just like very basic versions of what a footballer is. I I don't mind it so much because you need a player with personality. Like there has to be a distinguishing feature 
to the new character you're introducing. And they've kind of run through most of them. And so the aging, egotistical superstar, at least it exists in the real world. You know what I mean? I like, guess. It's, in a sense, the most realistic footballer, football signing they've come up with. Everyone else has just been plucked from the middle of nowhere, um, kind of of all various ages and shapes and sizes. Like, no one in on, their, on their team appears to be younger than about 25. I know they're supposed to be, but just they don't look. You know, like the team could be consisting of like you and me. And we're just supposed to believe that this is like a a young and vibrant Premier League squad. It's a little <laughs> bit silly. So they may as well have someone playing his actual age finally appear in the show. Uh, the thing that bothers me too is everyone seems to become have become dumber. Like there were there were always incompetent elements to everyone, but for the most part they weren't all idiots. And now everyone in the show seems to be an idiot and it's just difficult to deal with and it just makes you question how any of these people like higgins i don't understand how on earth he's ever kept a job at this point yeah like the but, stupid bit about hearing from this person from that person from this person from that person about a potential signing like that was so stupid yeah but yeah i i just almost just, as stupid I mean, as the throwing up in the mouth bit yeah, I mean, everything he does now is just idiotic. And I don't know what... And that was the other thing that bothered me, one very particular line before the Zaza signing came up. But he... I, I, I won't have exactly what he said, but it's when they're talking about being... Uh, when they're talking about how they're predicted to finish 20th, he said something along the lines of, we need to update our roster which is the most American thing you could possibly say. <laughs> like an English person would be strengthen the squad, add a new signing. Like there's a host of expressions that you might use, but I've never heard like someone, like a Premier League manager or anyone involved in running a club say, well, we just need to update our roster. Like this is, and again, these are, what's, what I struggle with is whether or not, I mean, there's some English writers on the show for sure. Like Brett Goldstein is a writer, but just the cast, you'd think if you were reading that, you would say, that doesn't sound very, like, that doesn't sound like the kind of thing I'd say. Can't you just say we need to sign a new player? Even if you don't want to say strengthen our squad because maybe Americans won't, maybe that will sound weird to Americans, which I can get. You could, If you just said we need to sign a new player, people could at least kind of understand what you're doing there yeah. but yeah just more to your pre more pieces. to your previous point what the hell has higgins been doing for the four months since they've been promoted <laughs> oh yeah i mean they don't have i mean look this club seemingly is run by five people you know there's three coaches <laughs> a kit man higgins we never see any scouting department we never see any additional coaches there's no youth team or reserve team, seemingly. You know, like the number of times, the other thing that too, I get it, but like there's a lot of training. Richmond train at least in a separate sort of facility. Like West Ham were just training on their pitch. 
<laughs> I guess that was the I guess that was the one way to show us that they were truly West Ham. But and there there would be some stuff that you might do right before in preparation for a match. I get it, but the idea that West Ham are just holding their standard training sessions at the at the London Stadium is just unbelievable. If you're a West Ham supporter, though, you kind of be ha- have to be happy because I heard a few times in these episodes how they're one of the elite Premier League squads. <laughs> yes, and predicted to finish fourth. It's more outrageous that West Ham have been predicted to finish fourth than Richmond are predicted yeah. to finish 20th. <laughs> predicted Defense. fourth with an ex kit their coach. I mean, it would be cool. I think if you're a West Ham supporter, maybe it's a little bit makes it Maybe a little bit. I don't know how I'd feel. Like if if this were Blackburn, I guess I'd think it was kind of cool. The, the issue being that they're being portrayed as the bad guys. So it's not great in that respect. But yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah. It's, and it, it's impossible to critique the show based on real life because obviously it's not supposed to be a realistic portrayal. But again, it just... Overall, it felt like this was the one weird thing existing in an otherwise normal universe. And now we've just, the show has just said, no, 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 no. Football as you know it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's it's two trajected upwards. So let's hope three and four also start to <laughs> yeah, I'm not as I wasn't as optimistic maybe or positive about two. Two was better than one, but one was awful. And can we also maybe agree of all of the dumb things he's done to motivate his players or bring them closer together, the trip to the sewer system has to be by far and away the worst. Yeah. And and again, if it had led to a bunch of really funny jokes, maybe, but the like, punchlines that they got from it weren't good. Like, I don't think I laughed once at that entire scene, really. But I just feel like when Ted Lasso has done things really well, it's been where you can watch it, and as stupid as his ways of dealing with conflict or difficulty are, there's a kind of tangible, meaningful takeaway, like that a normal person could kind of have, of like, oh, don't we all wish we were Ted Lasso in terms of coming up with this kind of cutesy way to deal with human conflict. And instead taking someone to the sewer system and being like, you need to deal with the problems and negativity in your life the same way London dealt with their sewer problem, which is by channeling channeling it carefully through your body and connecting it to other people and sharing out that shit. It's like so contrived that I couldn't, yeah. It's the kind of thing, up until this point, Ted Lasso has always managed to do something that resembled a bad like team building exercise, but nailed it. So you'd be like, oh, if someone at my company did that, it would actually be kind of cool. That is like what my nightmare team building exercise is. <laughs> to go into the sewer system with all your colleagues. It's not the fact that it's the sewer system. It's that like, wait, hold on, this the big lesson you think we should take from this is that we must deal with our challenges in the same way that they dealt with cholera and contamination. And we must build this internal sewer system 
to channel it properly through ourselves. No, but you're right. Though it was also like connecting one another and stuff yes. like that. You got to take a little bit from you and take a little yeah. bit from me, which I didn't really understand. Even it was just so stupid. Again, I, I feel like I've been at team building exercises that have been close to that, <laughs> and I hated them. And this was just one step further. Yeah. I've been at a power plant system where they showed us how electricity and how you have to fuel your energy, but never, yeah, never the exactly. sewer system. Just damn so far. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe it gets better. Maybe more of the, the sun in episodes three, four, five. <laughs> Leave this kid alone, man. He's going <laughs> to listen to this podcast and never want to act again. No, look, I'm sure he, you know, he just has to build a, a London internal London sewer system so that he can channel my negativity and, <laughs> you know, deal with it in his career. Any other topics now that uh, we've slightly put Ted Lasso in the sewer system? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think that's, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. To offset that, I have been watching the new seasons of Yellow Jackets and Succession, so... I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm still plowing my way through Always Sunny. So not at the end of that yet. At least got some good stuff. Also, actually, yeah. I think I maybe I mentioned this last episode or a couple before, but Top Chef is doing Top Chef International All-Stars and it's based out of London. And it just makes me really want to be in London. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I see things and I'm just like, oh man, I'd love to just in London right now, just watching a match, going to the races, <laughs> sitting in a well, pub. Soon. soon enough. But yeah, no, that's, I guess that's it. It's worth saying. I guess we got some good um, footballing guests coming up over the next couple of episodes. So there's topics, for example, we didn't discuss Bayern Munich sacking yeah. and Eaglesman and stuff, but we, we had Hiring a Ted Lasso. To over... Maybe. Maybe. But we got a chance to do that over the the next couple of episodes with some some real experts and journalists so that would be that would be good all right well with that little leading <laughs>